Our scripture text this morning is Matthew 5, 5. We're working our way through the Beatitudes. I wonder if you would read this with me. It's real short. I know you can handle it. Here we go. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. God, we have, most of us, wondered, what does this really mean for a long time? So I pray that you would guide my words, and that you would give us deeper understanding beyond my words to what to what Jesus was teaching and what Jesus wanted us to know 2,000 years ago. And we pray that as we work our way through these Beatitudes, that you'll continue to change our hearts, that we will become more and more like Jesus. For each of these attitudes are meant to be part of the way that we begin to allow you to reshape our patterns for living. So Lord, thank you for a congregation that loves to study your word, and even more than that, to apply it. Grant us the wisdom to know how to do both. In Jesus' name, amen. The ChristianLibrary.org includes a story of a fun-loving man named J. Upton Dixon. He proposed that he was writing a book called Cower Power while he was founding a group of really, a group for really submissive people. It was called Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls. The acronym, if you, did, if you caught it, if you were putting those uh, letters together, the acronym is spelled out by this name, Doormats. And their motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. They have a symbol, their symbol is the yellow traffic light, so always proceed with caution. Uh, now, I bring all this up this morning because we're going to focus on what may be one of the most misunderstood quotes that come from the mouth of Jesus. In fact, it's one of the most misunderstood verses in, misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. So our, our passage is short. It's to the point. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This morning's message is part three of our series that we're calling Unusually Blessed that focuses on the opening statements from the Sermon on the Mount, commonly known as the Beatitudes. And the question of the day is, why did Jesus include such a paradoxical statement as blessed are the meek, and what did he want us to know, and what hope does this offer for us? So good morning and welcome to North River Church, whether you're here in our worship center, and it's gl I'm glad to see so many faces here today, or whether you are watching online, we're glad that you're with us. We do this as one church. When we worship God together, when we fellowship together, when we focus on understanding and, uh, and applying Jesus' words in their original context, and, tr and the, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit begins to take place in us as we go through this process. However subtle the weekly impact may be, through our time together, we are leaning into God's long-term goal of transforming people like us to be more and more like Jesus. That goal is reflected in North River's, worship, uh, North River's vision statement. People being forever changed by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. We hope that we are in the process of not just staying the same, but being changed by his love and being changed by his truth. I'm calling this message this morning, Redefining Meekness. The first question is, who wants to be meek? Last week, we defined paradox this way as truth standing on its head in order to attract attention. Jesus' statement is paradoxical because it goes against conventional thinking. The dictionary defines meek as, quote, quiet, gentle, and easily imposed on. 
Vocabulary.com adds to that a person who will go along with whatever other people want to do. That runs against the grain of what we often look for in people today. In, in today's English, meekness often means weakness. There was a professional football team that was preparing for the annual draft. As the coaches talked about possible picks, the head coach asked, what kind of player are we looking for? Do we want the guy that gets knocked down and gets back up? Do we want the guy that gets knocked down and gets up, gets knocked down again and gets back up again and then stays down the third time? Or the guy that gets knocked, knocked down and gets back up every time? While his staff was taking all that in and before they could respond, the coach answered his own question. He says, we don't want any of these guys. We want to find the guy who's knocking everybody down. <laughs> That's the mentality of our world. And yet Jesus engages in this paradoxical thinking. And when he does this, he does it in order to deliver a truth that only makes sense to us as we slow down and engage in deep reflection. This statement is paradoxical because meekness can appear to look like weakness. But biblical meekness as modeled by Jesus and as rooted in the original words used in the original languages is much stronger than our concept in English. It's much stronger than we realize. So let's focus on the deeper meaning of meekness. The New Testament word that Jesus used is the Greek word praeus. While the English definition of, of meek is quiet, gentle, and easily imp imposed on, the Greek concept referred to strength under control. That's a great concept. Strength under control. Not always on display, not always out there in force, but held back, ready at the right time. Brian Bill, a pastor from Illinois, uses four analogies or lists four analogies of meekness that come from Greek culture. In other words, where this word was used in ancient language. The first had to do with the balance between too much and too little anger. The meek person was seen as neither, uh, neither timid nor prone to fits of rage. We are never told to avoid all anger in the Bible, only not to sin in our anger. There is such a thing as a righteous anger. And we should express anger over the injustices that break the heart of God. And there were times when even Jesus expressed anger in the right ways at the right times. The second image has to do with the right dosage of a soothing medicine. If too little is given, the medicine won't have its desired effect. If too much is given, it might produce harm, not healing, even death. The right dosage, though, does wonders. That's still true in our day, too. The third image that was used in ancient Greek was the, uh, the idea of a gentle breeze flowing in from the ocean. Now think of it, we live here on the south shore. People pay big money for a house that's on the coast. A gentle sea breeze is a wonderful thing on a hot day in the summer. But when the storm wind blows, that's a whole different deal. It can do powerful damage. And the fourth image was of a wild stallion that has been tamed. A broken horse is still extremely powerful, but that power is now under the control of a bit and bridle, and a rider can direct the horse wherever he or she wills. So here's the main idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. The meek model the same strength under control that we see in the strength of Jesus. When we understand the concept of meekness as Jesus used it and intended it, we model that, that strength under control that we see in Jesus. 
So where do we see the meekness of Jesus? Let me suggest just three ways. There are probably more in the scriptures. The first comes from the Jesus who welcomes the weary. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, we read these words from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus said, for I am gentle and humble in heart, that word gentle is the same word praeus that we were talking about a moment ago. Many people who have felt far from God are intimidated at drawing near to God. Often this is because of the weight of shame that we carry in life or because of the fear of being judged in the way that other people judge in this world. But Jesus himself describes his manner as gentle and humble. Here he further defines biblical meekness. It is gentle towards those who are spiritually and emotionally weary or wrecked. Again, this is great strength in complete control. A second example would be when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey and, uh, on the triumphal entry day that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. The Greek word praeus is used again in Matthew 25, which described how Jesus entered the city coming as a king who was a gentle and riding on a donkey. That word gentle is again the same word, the same concept. So think of it. Jesus had the ability and the authority and the power to arrive as a conquering king like the Roman warriors did. They would come in riding on a white horse, a powerful steed, perhaps the tallest of all of the animals there on that day. But on this day, he came in not making that kind of grand presence, but as a gentle king riding on an unbroken colt of a donkey. I can't imagine that that was easy to get this unbroken colt to go where you wanted it to go. And it presents Jesus as approachable rather than intimidating. There is a distinct contrast between those who seize power and the quiet calm of a person who has genuine authority that can never be taken away and yet backs off on that and comes with gentleness. Think of the contrast between England's royal family that shut out Princess Diana and the love that accrued to Diana when she gave up the hope of one day being queen of England and instead proclaimed herself as the queen of hearts and then dedicated herself to serving other people in very public, visible ways. When she died, the outpouring of grief and of appreciation and love for her was overwhelming. That was great strength under control on display. And then one third example from the life of Jesus, when he was arrested. John chapter 18 records the story, and there in four verses, starting with verse 3, it says, so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Notice verse 6. It says, When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So just picture this. Here's Jesus with all the authority in heaven. He could have called down a thousand angels in that moment to protect him. He doesn't. They come with clubs and swords and torches. He walks out gently to greet them. When he just says, I am he, the authority of his voice knocks these soldiers down to the ground. And yet Jesus submits to them 
and goes, on, goes with them and ultimately is arrested, interrogated, beaten, whipped, and put on that cross. Unlimited strength in control. There's a cumulative impact that comes from these Beatitudes. In part one, two weeks ago, we talked about the meaning of makarios, the word blessed there. The range of meaning includes these words, happy, blessed, lucky, fortunate. We are unusually blessed when we probe and adopt these attitudes from Jesus. That's what he is telling us by using blessed at each one of these eight uh, particular Beatitudes. Now look at the cumulative impact of the first three that we have walked through. We are blessed when we are poor in spirit and realize our great need for God. That's what we talked about in week one. We are comforted by God when we mourn over the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of life. That's what we talked about last Sunday. And we model the effectiveness of Jesus when we act with strength under control, the definition of meekness according to the Bible. This is the paradox. He says, the meek will inherit the earth, not those who force their own way. What does that mean? The meek operate in the power of God, not by our own force, not according to our own timetable. The meek do not, uh, the meek do speak out at times against injustices and the wrongs of this world, but how we do that matters. We see Jesus doing this as he overturned the tables in the temple. It was not an arbitrary act. He did this with the authority of being God's very own son, knowing why the temple was set up and arranged the way it was. And he spoke out against the corrupt system that the priests and the Pharisees had created in the, in the, in the desire to rip people off. He also knew that this practice had taken up the court of the Gentiles, which was the outermost court, which was a place where all of the people from the other nations could come and find the hope of God. And as they began to bring in all these animals that they were selling, they used up that area so that any non-Jews would never find a place where they could come. Are there times when Christians should speak up against injustice? Yes, there are. Yet we never see Jesus advancing the kingdom through force or rebellion. We advance the kingdom through truth, love, and by serving others. We address wrongs and seek justice with speech, with the pen, through the courts, and through the ballot. The meek trust in God so greatly that we follow his lead with unwavering trust that his plans will be worked out. Think of this, at his trial... At the time of Jesus' trial, Herod, Pilate, and the religious leaders of Jerusalem had all the power and all the wealth. But Jesus knew that one day every knee would bow before him, and so he didn't fire back at them. Isaiah 53 says, As a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And prophetically, that was speaking about the Messiah and how the Messiah would come and suffer on our behalf. Jesus did this because the redemption of people, not political power, was his top priority. He could have gained the latter, but he would have had to forego the larger goal. Kingdom people reflect Jesus with strength under control. The Romans crucified Jesus, and yet within a few years, Christian faith overtook Rome and even became the official religion of the land. Imagine that. They didn't understand how dangerous Jesus is, even in death. Dorothy Sayers, in an essay called The Greatest Drama Ever Staged, wrote a long time ago, 
The people who hanged Christ never, to do them justice, accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We have efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious, and pious old ladies, unquote. What does meekness look like? A pastor named Irish Cortez had a little acronym to sum this up, and he, he put it this way, that meek stands for four things. Meekness is being like Christ, esteems others before oneself, encourages with our words, and keeps no record of wrongs. That's what we see in Jesus, among other things. The meek model the same strength under control that we see in the strength of Jesus. Let's ask him to continually impart that into our lives, into our speech, into the way that we live, in the way that we walk in this world. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus, the Lion of Judah, who had, at the call of his voice, all the legions of heaven, and yet resisted making that call relied on your strength and your plan and your timing. Give us that incredible strength under control. Give us the ability to so trust the vision that we are given of how one day your kingdom will come in all glory and that one day every knee will bow and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. We pray that you'll give us the ability to live in such a way that we don't have to power up on anybody at any time, but that we can graciously stand with the strength of knowing that we are children of the King and that you hear our prayers and that you, look, you watch over our lives and that you work through our actions. And we ask that you would make us phenomenally effective as we walk with the grace of Jesus through life. And we also pray that you will make our faith attractive to those who are looking for something that lasts and that soothes the soul. Thank you for these Beatitudes as we cumulatively, cumulatively learn about your unusual blessings upon your people. May we pursue them, embody them, and live them. In Jesus' name, amen.